Support for SoundRider and the SoundRider Show is made possible in part by Linwood Motoplex, your gateway to motorcycling adventure in the Pacific Northwest. Choose from brands like Indian, KTM, BMW, Kawasaki, Victory, Yamaha, Can-Am, and more. Family owned and operated for over 25 years. Linwood Motoplex is your one-stop shop for fun. This is David Christensen with Tucker Rocky. Welcome to the SoundRider Show. Now live from the Crow's Nest studio in beautiful downtown Broadview, Washington, join us for the latest episode of the Sound Rider Show, a candid hour featuring the people, places, and things that make up the fabric of one of the top motorcycle riding destinations in the world. And now here are your hosts, Tom Marin, Derek Roberts, and whoever else happens to drop by today. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Sound Rider Show, and it's an April edition, and I gotta tell you, Tom. I have never been so excited for spring to officially be here to be here because it has been a crappy, wet, snowy winter, and I, I got to get outside. I don't know how you're feeling, man. I got to get out, but it's still crappy. It's still <laughs> you're right. It still is crappy, but I feel it's like, just warmer crappy. Yeah, well, I feel like though we're about to uh, we're about to hit the crest, right? I mean, we're going to get somewhere where we can actually get on the motorcycle and ride it uh, more than around the block and actually enjoy ourselves. At least I'm hoping so. <coughs> I would like to do that. I definitely do. But I, I will tell you, I, I have made some steps since last month. Yeah. Uh, I got two of the five bikes on the Chargers, Great. and I got three to go. Okay, yeah. So they're, 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 they're getting there, and then, I, and then I would put some air in the tires. That's always nice, yeah. yeah. And how many of those bikes are on Craigslist, that uh, three-year project you've been working on? I got to put two on? of them yeah. on Craigslist, you're right. <laughs> Maybe I'll do that in between doing air in the tires. Yeah, that's a good idea. Or you could put it on the used bike section on soundrider.com. I was say, I got course, one yeah. of them on the used bike section of Soundrider, and it's not moving, but uh, I'll put start... the other one there, and then maybe I'll try that Craigslist thing a little bit. Spring clearance, right? I think that's what uh, is next. But I tell you, though, we talk about all this bad weather, and I was looking at some of the headlines here, like down in Portland. Uh, this is from KATU uh, Channel 2. Just three sunny, mild winter days this winter. Which is awful. Yeah, and then we're talking about uh, you know some of the rain here in Seattle and some of the winter, worst winter in thirty years. Yeah, that's what they're saying. Like eleven point two inches of snow. The norm is about four point inches, yep. uh, four point eight inches. Which we didn't get too much of that here in now downtown. That, yeah, but. that's that's uh, Portland area you're talking about. And then you know that the snowpack down in the gorge where we like to ride in the summertime right. is at one hundred twenty five percent. Yeah, so this is this is from uh, this is from mynorthwest.com. So this is from the Seattle area. Okay, um, but they were saying the 11.2 inches of snow and then uh, 8.85 inches of rain, with first place still being in 1961 at 9.11 inches. So wow. just wow. miserable, you know. Um, but I don't know about you, but it's giving me some cabin fever, and uh, I am looking to get out at the first sunny weekend stretch that comes our way. Do you got any plans, uh, anything coming up that's kind of been building up in you over this winter here? Um, well, you know, we've had to scratch the original date on Sasquatch, and we talked about that on the show last time. Right. I think what we'll do is run that in September. We've been talking about it more, and it looks like maybe we're going to run a Sasquatch. Might even be a shorter version. May, may not be a whole week. Okay. But uh, the idea is we may run that in September, like week three of September. We've got to get back from the gorge. We've got to decompress. We'll have to get everything ready before the gorge. Right. And then we'll come back and and in that during that time, the printer will be printing the books and we'll we'll get it all together. So, yeah. So I know that some people have uh, 
been wondering and scratching their heads what's going on. It's just not possible to do a Sasquatch in uh, June. Yeah, well, there's a lot of uh, a lot of dedicated listeners and readers of Soundwriter who Sasquatch is their go-to Soundwriter event. So I would imagine that there's some anticipation out there. Any ideas for this uh, shorter version? We're looking at the Olympic Peninsula. That so would be awesome. The worst thing that could happen at that point in time is it may rain. Yeah, we'll just we'll just have to see what goes on. Well, a little September rain's not too bad, right? I mean, that's. Yeah, if it's not like drenching, yeah, like it has been. <laughs> sure, we're, recently, yeah. Well, you know, as we look out the window and can't see a right. thing out there. <laughs> but uh, September, you know, if Guns and Roses taught us anything, it's better than November rain, right? There's a rim shot in the background somewhere. You probably can't hear it. But... Yeah, I didn't. I didn't. Yeah. I didn't buy that one, so I don't. I don't remember those lyrics. But I trust you because you're, yeah. you're. You know your Guns and Roses. It's out there for sure. Well, you know, I'm hoping to really kind of rip things open. Like I said, as soon as we see some sunny days and uh, just start exploring again, it has been such a such a closed in claustrophobic winter that uh, you know I got to get the chain oiled up and I'm going to be out there real soon. So you're going to do any modifications to the bike to to have a different 2017 from 2016? Uh, you know, I think modification-wise, I don't really have anything planned. You know, I'm pretty happy with the bare-bones setup that it has. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just a matter of, you know, you got to get out there and execute. You know, it's got that extended-range tank. It's got the uh, Happy Trails panniers. It's uh, it's ready to go. It just needs a rider. Okay. Yeah. How about you? Any modifications planned for your bikes? No modifications. Just need to get them uh, full of air and, yeah. and go through each one of them with my, uh, you know, the uh, the T clocks. Right. And then uh, get them out on the road and get them riding. Yeah. Well, it's awesome. You know, I mean, it's. Uh, but you know what I'm doing? And I've been telling some people this. Um, you know, I got the five bikes, right? And yeah. I, and I need to sell two. But the other fact is, I got three that are in regular rotation. Mm. But with the recent registration increases in seattle since i live in the city of seattle yeah i'm getting nailed with huge registration fees on motorcycles that are 29 years old i'm with you i just got my renewal it's like 150 bucks yeah everything i got is 200 bucks or more that's crazy so um there will be a bike this year and i don't know which one it's going to be yet but it will go out of the rotation for this year yeah i'm gonna you know get it all working but uh, it's not getting registered this year because I'm not going to pay all that money that they want me to pay. And it's, it's crazy. You know, with the, the always present emphasis on being green and uh, then the always present problem of traffic, doesn't it seem like they should be incentivizing people to ride motorcycles? Oh, no, they don't care. Well, I know that they don't care, but I mean, wouldn't logically it's a, it make It's a sense? vehicle one way or another to them. It's just money on the table for them. You yeah. Know? So if uh, – and they're not going to give you a break because you're riding on two wheels. They already give you a break, they figure. You know, they let you ride the HOV lane on in most cases. Yeah. Uh, but they, they're not going to – you know, <laughs> there's certainly no break on registration fees. Yeah, I don't know. I think they should cancel them. That's ridiculous. I they mean, let 100... you on the, on the ferry first. Yeah. It's a what I think they should do benefit. is they should say, hey, you have uh, – you have uh, five vehicles. Which one would you like to have the exorbitant registration fee on? Right. Because when you charge me across all five of them, then you're not going to get the money. Yeah, I mean, I understand that for sure, but I just, I, it just seems so absurd to me. I mean, the minimal impact that a motorcycle makes out there, it's, it should not be charged the same rate or anywhere near a uh, four wheel car. And f- frankly, the four wheel car charges are too high, too. So I say, yeah, slash them all. Well, we voted them all in, so now we get to pay. Yeah. 
Nice work, uh, populist. When I, when, right? I, yeah, when I say we, I don't mean me because right. I don't vote for that. But. What we need are some pro motorcycle uh, city council members, right? <laughs> Start the campaign. So yeah, so that's that's my that's my cabin fever project of this year is figuring out which bike I'm gonna put up on. Uh, on the on the yeah. center stand for a year. Yeah, well, I mean, I can't blame you there. If you got that many bikes, uh, you know, you can't be spending almost a thousand bucks in registration fees. You can't can't so, possibly get that value. So, speaking of like high ticket items, yeah. Uh, so last weekend, or probably well, it was the third weekend in April. I went out to the Vantage area in cool. Washington State, and uh, my friend Norm said, called me up. He says, "Hey, I'm going to go do the Dirty Poker Run." And I'm taking my side-by-side, and I want you to be my navigator. Nice. Now, I've had several people this year asking me to be their navigators. Right. Uh, in this case, I was game. So I went with Norm out there, and we rode around in his side-by-side in the desert on a 30-mile poker run. Cool. Pretty fun. Yeah. Uh, a lot of people on dirt bikes, a lot of people on side-by-sides and quads, uh, probably over 1,000 people. It was a pretty big event. And uh, impressive, over a thousand people. And what is uh, what's Norm's sort of native setup? Is that a, a BMW that he put a sidecar on, or no, no? It's, a, it's called side by side. It's like a giant quad oh. with two seats next to each other. I got you're talking about like sort of the ATV golf cart hybrid sort yeah, of thing. Yeah, maybe like a dune buggy kind of yeah, thing. Yeah, okay, you know, dune, I got gotcha. you. Dune buggy of the 21st century. Nobody ever rides dune buggies anymore, right? But, uh, but this, you know, so this is smaller, more compact, but but actually pretty relaxing. Yeah. And so uh, I made Norm do all the driving. Sure. And uh, he, you know, he, he wanted me to drive the side by side, and I said, "Oh no, 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 no! I, I'm not going to learn how to do that in the middle of like all these people flying around right. me and their Arctic cats." And probably their, a good idea. Yeah. Their Can-Ams and all these. I said, "You just keep driving, and I'll I'll be the navigator," like right. he said. So, what what was interesting to me was this this uh, segment of people that I just I've always kind of known them to be out there. I've just never seen them all in one place at once. But these are people who spend ten to twenty thousand dollars to buy a side by side. Yep. Now you can't drive that to the event, so you're either going to have to trailer it on the back of an RV, right, or stuff it in the back of a toy hauler. Yeah, which you will connect up to your expensive uh, Ford F three fifty heavy duty pickup truck. So you look at the setups between the side by side is is the nominal cost. It's the cost of the RV yeah. or the cost of the toy hauler. Easy, yeah. And then the cost of the truck. And now all the number signs go off in your head, and you realize all these people have they must have second mortgages that are hundred thousand dollars or more. That's a that's a real possibility, I suppose. I don't know. I mean, some people are out there doing pretty well, but uh, you're right; it is an, an expensive setup. I thought, though, in some states, these side by sides were street legal. So, in some states or in some counties, uh, they okay. are. But uh, you couldn't get one to the Vantage area. Uh, there's no way from Seattle that you could legally do that without putting it on trailer or putting it in the back of a toy hauler. Okay, so they're not legal then. In uh, many of the counties or in the state of Washington, do you know if you can license them here? Yeah, well, I know that because um, we were, you know, there's lots of people you can talk to at these events, so we yeah. we're, we're not shy, and we were out talking to people. Sure, and uh, there's actually like a like a quad side by side poker run that they run out in Waitsburg, Washington, which is just north of Walla Walla. Oh, okay, and um, 
And you can go all around town in Waysburg and the two counties that are adjacent to it or, or one of them, one of the counties that it is and then the one next to it, they're both um, – it's legal to operate the side-by-side. So they put on a poker run and people go all up through the hills and through the ranches and all this stuff and learn a lot about the area out there. Right. So it's like a whole other world of people. Yeah. And, of course, we did see – Lots of motorcycles. So you kind of felt a little bit like you were getting maybe a little Baja 500, Baja 1000 yeah, type I see that. thing going on. Yeah. And uh, in between checkpoint one and two, there were several large hills that were easy for the side by sides to go up, but a lot of the riders had trouble on them. Right. So uh, interesting. It sounds like a fun time, though. And any success in the poker run? How did you guys do? Uh, <laughs> it, our card was so bad we left yeah we left sunday morning right away well, we had a horrible card that's a tough slog but it sounds like a good time you know i i know that these side-by-sides are becoming more and more popular it'll be interesting to see kind of how that segment of uh you know sort of atvs and things takes off over the next decade or two yeah i've been talking to the dealers about this and they're telling me they're seeing the sales increasing a lot one yeah. dealer up in uh snohomish county moved like 10 of them this month wow that's a lot. Definitely. So it's uh, it's a happening deal. We'll see how long it hangs on yeah. for. Well, I know I've got a friend down in Arizona who just bought one recently, and he swears by it. He drives it into town. It's legal there. It goes about 40 miles an hour, and uh, he says it's great. He puts his two uh, 10-year-old twins in there with him, and they rip around in the mountains and through town and just huh. love it. So. so it's a four-seater then. Yeah, this one's a four-seater. Yeah, and there was yeah. the four-seaters out there too. So, so. an entirely different segment. So uh, you got this little thing you want to play called? That's right. So that's called Donkey or Fuel. Is that the name of the show? So it's called Ass or Gas. Okay. All right. So here's how this works. So this is kind of inspired by maybe some of the sports talk shows that do a little rapid fire segment. And what we're going to do is we're going to go back and forth with a couple of questions. And uh, the premise is, you know, the answer to the question, you're either going to respond that is an ass. Or it's gas, which means you're on board with it and you're ready to go. Can we change that sound on the ass? Can we just you use, use this one? <laughs> we can, yeah. <laughs> Version two, maybe we'll uh, we'll switch it up on there. But uh, I figured it'd be uh, you know we're going into our third year here. Maybe we try something different and we see how it works. So what do you say? You ready to play uh, ass or gas? <laughs> Yeah, I'm ready. All right. I'm so, ready. So you're going to ask me a question that's first, right. or you want me so, to ask you a question? Well, I'll kick it off first. I'll give you the first question here. So okay. let's get ready. Let's play ass or gas. Ass or gas. Uh-huh. Oh, I got that too. Wow. All right, Tom Marin, ass or gas. You are on record many times stating that all new riders should start their motorcycling career on a low-powered motorcycle, generally referring to something that is less than 400cc. Mm-hmm. So I have a friend. He's looking for his first bike and is considering a Honda CB500X. You want to buy that new or used? Well, he hasn't decided yet, so that's okay. that's still up in the air. But my question is, 500cc for your first motorcycle, ass or gas? Mm, in the case of the Honda, I'll say gas. There you go. Uh, you know, I mean... Uh, when you get into like the, you see people buy like seven, eight hundred thousand, even like twelve hundred cc motorcycles for their first bike. That's just crazy. Sure. 
But uh, I would say that that 500CB500X is a fairly tame motorcycle. Like my NC700X is fairly tame. Right. But uh, the 500 small enough in weight that it's, you know, it's not going to be that different from getting on, say, the 250 or the 300. Uh, if you got into, say, like some of the heavier 500s, uh, that's a lot of weight to be pushing around. That's so. true. Yeah. So you're gas on that one. I'm that's gas great. On yeah. That. What do you got for me? Uh, so my question for you is, uh, Derek, we, we know there's all kinds of motorcycle businesses throughout the Pacific Northwest. And my question was going to be, if you were going to start a motorcycle business today in the Pacific Northwest, what would it be and where would you do it? Okay, well, that's a little – I have an answer for that. It's a little tougher, uh, tough for ass or gas, but I guess you're going to comment on my answer and tell me if I'm an ass. Yeah, I might say yes on your it. answer. All right. All right, so things are evolving already. So if I was going to start a motorcycle business, I would probably start some sort of product development company that's focused on a very specific niche. And what would that be? Well, I don't know. It would probably be something related to sort of uh, the dual sport world. And, uh, you know, we'd manufacture maybe accessories. That's ass. <laughs> Hit the ass button. There's so many dual sport companies here now in the Pacific Northwest that are making luggage well, and skid plates. To be You're fair, just going to be in a giant pool of muck. But to be fair, though, you didn't really tell me what the, the purpose of the, the business was there. Now, this could be a secondary business that's related to pleasure. Or are we talking about specifically trying to generate profit, which would be maybe a different avenue there? Well, I was thinking about your motorcycle nutrition company. Yeah. So See, now that's a unique one. You, you, the, the, the field's wide open, no competition. So you're going to sell specific food to motorcyclists? Yeah, you're yeah. going to have a vending machine at every gas station, just motorcycles only. You know, I don't know how picky most <laughs> motorcyclists are. I think they call that 7-Eleven in most parts of the country already. But hey, that's a, that's an interesting premise uh, for sure. Yeah, your vending machine could have the almonds and the, the grass-fed jerky, you know, the good stuff. Yeah, that's that's exactly what people want to do is spend uh, 40 bucks bucks on almonds and grass-fed jerky while they're out hitting the road there so i i think that deserves a right. <laughs> all right my next question for you tom a longtime industry ambassador and honda motorcycle enthusiast you have just been hypothetically invited by honda to complete an iron butt 48 states in 10 days challenge on your nc700x uh, wait 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 there is no pay but yeah. if, you, if you successfully complete the mission, they will reimburse you for expenses and put you up for three days at McMinimins to soak in the neighboring hot pools and repair your wrecked body. No, so, thank you. Still on that, huh? Uh, not going to do it. Uh, it's just not my way of riding motorcycles. I, 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 you know, hats off to everybody who wants to spend all day on a motorcycle for 10 days in a row, but it's not where I want to go. So I'll actually pay the money out of my pocket to go down to McMinimums and relax in the hot pool for three days, and it won't be on Honda's back. So follow-up question, is there a dollar amount that would get you to do that? Uh, yeah, it's called my retirement. Fill my retirement <laughs> account. Yeah, two million. Two million bucks it would take yeah, you to do that, huh? My, buy my magazine for two million, and then I'll I'll be do, out there for ten. Days. I feel like we could get you to take a shot at at least ten thousand dollars. I think you'd consider it if someone rolled up with a ten thousand dollar check and covered your expenses. I think you'd I think you'd consider it. Uh, I don't. <laughs> All right, uh, just play the ass one more time. Yeah. There you go. All right. So, last question. What do you got for me? <laughs> 
Uh, last question is, um, oh, you've been living in Pacific Northwest for about four or five years. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and you've been riding around and, and, uh, and there's still a lot of places that you haven't gone. So, uh, where do you want to go next? Okay. And again, I, I'm happy to answer that, but I think that we might be missing the premise of ass or gas here, but we'll go with it because, the uh, the places that I would want to ride in the Pacific Northwest, and I know that there's not a lot of roads in Canada, but I would like to take a trip through Canada, uh, specifically up north of uh, BC, and probably get up to uh, the White Horse Territory and the Yukon Territories, just because I think it's still a very open country. You know, the roads aren't the greatest, and there's not a lot to explore, sort of on side roads, but it's beautiful up well, there. Well, I'll give so. you a gas on that. All right. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, you know, it's it's uh, I've done uh, all pretty much all you can do in Lower BC, right? And and you're right, there isn't a whole lot you can do. Uh, and, and, but you know, the people who want to adventure out and go further, uh, we have a friend who likes to go to Yellowknife. We yeah. Have, uh, people that we know who like to go to alaska now and then and if that's what you want to do then you you go do it you know yeah and and then you decide after you're done if that's what you want to keep doing over and over again because i see people do rides and they just do them over and over again how many people have done the obdr or the the washington backcountry discovery route you know, they tell me they've done it three or four times in Alaska when the last time was they rode on the, on the Olympic Peninsula, and they've never been there on a bike. There is so. too much to explore in the Pacific Northwest yeah. to do the same thing over and over again. So uh, that's ass or gas. And and this is the Soundwriter Show, the April edition. <laughs> We're going to take a break. When we come back, we've got a news bite segment. <laughs> Support for Soundwriter and the Soundwriter Show is made possible in part by Skagit Power Sports, where you'll find one of the largest selections of new and used motorcycles, apparel, and gear in the North Sound. Skagit Power Sports provides a relaxed atmosphere and no-pressure sales staff to get you into your next bike simply and quickly. And that's why they are consistently voted the top dealer in the Pacific Northwest by Soundwriters year after year. Visit them in Burlington today or find them online at SkagitPowerSports.com. Hi, this is Delvine Manning from the Bonneville Motorcycle Speed Trials, and you're listening to The Sound Rider Show. Hi, this is Carl. I live in Yakima, Washington. One of my favorite places to ride is Northeast Oregon because there's nobody out there. Welcome back to the April edition of News Bites here on the Sound Rider Show. Yes, it is April, and uh, we're going to dive into the News Bites segment. There are some very interesting things going on out there. There's stuff that's going on I didn't even know what's going on. It is, and I know that uh, we are always doing this up to the last minute, keeping this as up-to-date as possible. Um, So I've just got some new stuff in, and I know you do too. Why don't you uh, start us off here, Tom? What do you got? Okay, so this is the latest one that I found out about just the other day. There's a a gentleman, and a lot of people know this guy. His name is David Sneezy. Okay. David Sneezy, he used to work at the Lake City BMW shop. Uh, I think it's called Lake, uh, BMW of Lake City right. in Washington. Sure, sure. And, uh, 
and he has come up with a new product called Frog Snot. Wow. <laughs> yeah, it's just stuff called Frog Snot, and you rub it on the inside of your face shield. Uh-huh. And it keeps your face shields just smelling awesome all day. Have you ever picked up a frog that had a cold? Uh, you know, I don't think that I have. I used to spend a lot of time with frogs in ponds in Michigan, but I've never picked one up with Well, that's uh, the thing. Cold, it's yeah. hard to find them when they have a cold. But when yeah. you do, you smell the snot on their nose, and it's it's just – I mean, it's it's better than a dozen roses. You know, I can't, the, it amazes me the research that people put into these products. So frog snot, and you said – what's this guy's name? David Sneezy. Well, wow, that's incredible. Where can I pick it up? Yeah, um, I'm not sure. I don't know if it's on the market yet. I just found out it was. It's, I know it's like a brand new product, and but what I did find out too is that they actually have these farms where they grow frogs, and then they get them all sick with a cold, and then they go in and they extract the frog snot out of their nose. And put it into a spray bottle, and you could spray it onto your face shield then. Oh, so it is a spray bottle. Then you don't yeah, have to spray like, Yeah, you apply okay. it with a spray bottle. So it's not like a tub that you have to like scoop out with your fingers or anything? No, no. Oh, it sounds – I don't know. It sounds pretty neat. I mean I don't know if I'd be the first line it's, to use it. It's not it, but cheap either. How much is it? Uh, it's like uh, 40 or $50 for a spray bottle. Well, how long does it last Like a though? little uh, – all day. Yeah, it's all day. All right. Well, I tell you what, I take. And the, then you reapply it the next morning. Yeah. Well, hey, take the leap. Get some frog snot, right? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so what do you got? So I I found something that I thought was kind of interesting. There's actually here in Washington, there is a a new motorcycle company that uh, is starting to. Well, they have plans to manufacture anyway, and the website's up right now. I don't think they've actually done any sort of tooling or anything, but uh, it's a solar powered motorcycle. Oh, cool! And they're calling it the Solar Saki. Is this like one of those things that Liam Stewart's involved with? He might be. You know, I didn't uh, have a chance. The the research that's available on it, it's pretty thin. They're a pretty new company. But, you know, I want to ask you what you think of this, though, because here's kind of the tagline, and I'm not sure – well, I'm not sure where I stand on this, but so Solar Saki, and this again, this is from the press release. Solar Saki is the first transportation company to be powered by the ultimate good vibe, the sun. Where, what is the sun? That's the ultimate good vibe. <laughs> See, <laughs> are they going to use like good good vibrations? Well, is there I, yeah. Well, theme song they're going to television commercial. My or? question is, they're going to need something, right? Because uh, we're here in Washington. Like, I mean, is that the best place to have a solar powered motorcycle? Well, company? I guess it's. Uh, I guess you could really test them good up here. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, so if it works up here, I guess it'll work anywhere in the world. But uh, yeah, the solar sake. I don't know. I thought that was. Uh, I thought that was interesting. Cool. Cool. Now, is that going to be out at the Wild Horse Wind Farm? I think it's coming up. I think they're going to do a whole green <laughs> thing together, and uh, you can get your frog snot, you can get on your solar sake, and you can be the uh, the ultimate rider. It's like out a there. new world for motorcycling. It really is. So uh, yeah. So thank you everybody for listening to the April Fools edition of News Bites, and now we are going to cut to the real yeah. edition of News Bites. Where's that ass sound effect? We probably could have used it there, right? It's right here. <laughs> there it is. All right. Uh, honest to God, though, uh, David Sweezy has a new product out, and it's called Frog Spit. Really? And it's an anti-fog for the inside of your face shield. Oh, nice. And uh, it's it's starting to get some distribution around now. We're trying to get a package of it so that we can do some testing with it and see how it works. Uh, we've seen all kinds of anti-fogs come and go in this business, so... Uh, we do want to see what happens. Yeah. But that that's the truth of that, and I was just making a... Of course. 
but, April Fools. But that's uh, and Sweezy, he's got uh, his company uh, Cycle Wipes, right? Yeah. Which he is uh, is he the founder of that? Is he? Yeah. Okay. He's the founder of that, and I think what he's it looks to me because I saw the packaging. What he's doing is expanding into a product that he can sell into the ski industry. Right. He could sell it into a lot of different places where. Uh, anti-fog is necessary. Okay. Well, you know, if he can crack that code, really, he's going to have a winner on his hands because, like you said, that has plagued motorcycling really since the dawn of the closed face shield helmet. I so mean, what do you do when your face shield fogs up? I just crack it open. That's what I do, too. Yeah. But, you know, a lot of times... I, I, you know, I, sometimes I stretch my tongue out a little bit and lick it. There you go. <laughs> That's the, the real frog spit there. Um <laughs> But, you know, honestly, though, like sometimes in a light rain condition and you try to find that balance of cracking your face shield and you really can't find a good balance, you know, to get it to clear the fog and to prevent your face from getting wet. Yeah. And especially on some colder days, that can be really a bit of a hazard, but it's a big challenge. So uh, best of luck to the, to Dave and hopefully we can get a sample here. And there's something called the dew point, And I, I don't have the math on this in front of me right now, but there's a point when the temperature outside hits a certain point, And then if the moisture level is at a certain point, yeah. there's a point you reach the dew point. Yes. And when you hit the dew point, that is when the inside of your face shield fogs up. So, right. Uh, I, my best recollection of this was riding around out of Yosemite one morning and going up a hill, and all of a sudden, a dew point kicked in, mm-hmm. and the inside of the face shield just went blank. Yep, it can happen in a hurry. <coughs> and that temperature dew point spread, like you said, that's kind of the magic uh, equation there. And that's what in summertime, you know, when you go out on a chilly morning and you see all that dew on the grass, it's the same thing. Yeah, yeah. Uh, okay, so here here's another news bite, and this one's real also. Yep. Um, I went to Skagit. Power Sports the other day yep. and participated in their chili contest. And Sound Rider won second place for our chili dog, Chili. And I got to tell you, that really made me smile when I saw that get posted on Facebook there. So congratulations. I mean, that's a, that's a big deal if you're like it Chili. Was. I it mean, was a big deal. That's awesome. And so we're bringing the Chili Dog Chili to the Rally in the Gorge as part of the Moto Mojo Cafe that's going to be coming back to the Rally in the Gorge this year. So we'll be able to get it in uh, in August at the Rally. But yeah. let's let's tease it a little bit here. Tell me what makes this uh, chili so special. What makes it an award winner? Uh, well, it's unique in texture okay. in, by virtue of the fact that it has the chili, it has the hot dogs inside, and it has the hot dog buns inside. Really? And then I use a certain spice concoction uh, to where the hot dog bun actually almost tastes like a cinnamon roll. In the chili? In the chili. That's very interesting. Yeah. yeah. And you, I know this sounds crazy. You, you, some of you people are saying, yeah, I'll, I'll drive seven miles in the hood river. I'm not going to eat that. But uh, <laughs> yeah, give it a shot. Uh, we'll give it to you in a little medicine cup first if you want to try it yeah. before you buy a bowl. Now, I just want to reiterate here that that is – we we played uh, played a little April Fool's joke that at the is, beginning here, real, but this is real. You're that t- is real. Yeah. C- cinnamon roll flavored <laughs> hot dog buns in the chili with the hot dogs. Yep. Okay. I'm on board. Hey, it's second place. I mean, I second place. I'm not going to judge until I have a chance to actually taste it. So uh, I look forward to trying that out in August. I'm looking though. to see if there's any other chili cookoffs between now and the gorge because I want to take it out and and yeah. and have it win a few other places. Yeah, that's. Uh, but that's, it's already award-winning. That's true. That's so. that's the risk. You can right now. You have full immunity because you've won at every contest you've entered it in. So. <laughs> yeah, that's true. <laughs> 
But what else do we have in the news bites? I mean, we've got... Uh, okay, you were asking about what have I been doing in with the cabin fever time. Yeah. And one of the things I did was... Um, you know, I think everybody should carry a tread depth gauge with them sure. when they ride. And the reason is because you could carry like a penny with you, and it will tell you when you're down to 230 seconds of tread, and mm-hmm. that means it's time to get new tires. But you could predict your tread wear if you used a tread depth gauge and marked it down every 500 miles. That's true. So we have just added to the Soundrider online store a tread depth gauge. It comes with a white paper that has a chart for charting the life of the tire and then also some tips on how to extend the wear or how to extend the life of your tire tread. Nice. Because I don't just want to sell you a tire tread gauge. I want to give you a lot of good information along with it. Right. Well, that's the heart of the Soundrider Enterprise is valuable information. And just in case people aren't familiar with the term white paper, that's sort of like a scientific instructional paper. Um, It's nothing that is – you don't actually use the white paper to measure your tire tread depth. You use the information. But you put the information on on the backside where the the grid is. Right. So it is a a very useful tool to have. And, you know, I think that's something that a lot of motorcyclists don't think a lot about is tread depth. Yeah. And, um, you know, sometimes, you know, there's a lot of people who ride, you know, maybe just a few thousand miles a year. You don't realize that, you know, maybe three years down the road, the difference in sort of grip and handling that your tires may have had three years previous, the mm-hmm. erosion over time. So it's great to kind of learn more about tire, uh, tire tread depth. And just the overall effect that it has on your motorcycle skills. And with the grid, you can keep track of kind of what the road surface conditions were right. in between the intervals. So you can see, like, if you notice that you lost, like, 230 seconds just in a 500-mile increment because you were out on chip seal, right. then you know that the next time you go to chip seal, to a chip seal road, you're probably going to lose another 230 seconds yeah. out of there. So um, it, it's, just a, it's just a good way to get in touch. And the, the the biggest bummer is when you get somewhere and you go, oh, geez, that's it. My tire to- is yeah, toast. That's true. I get people every year, they come to the rally and they think, yeah, yeah, I'm going to be fine. They leave home. They look like they've got maybe four thirty seconds on there. Yep. And they get down to the rally and two days later, they're down to the braids or the you know the it belts happens. on the tire. Yeah. And it's like, no, you don't want to have that happen. Yeah. So. Well, luckily, Don is at the rally but uh, with all moto tires. But um, – a lot of places you go, obviously, you don't have that luxury, so that's something to to keep in mind. Yeah. So, so okay, go ahead. Yeah, I was going to say, you know, you talk about how that can be a bummer. Another bummer, just from the day to day of motorcycling, is if you get to your camp spot, your campsite, and you don't have anything good to eat. And we were talking about this at the introduction of that's last right. show. Yeah. And you just wrote a really nice article on ten things, ten motorcycle food items that are travel worthy and. Healthy, healthier anyway than maybe some of the other alternatives. Oh, they're healthy. Yeah, so yeah, they're nutritious for you and they taste good. But let's take us through that a little bit because I thought that was a really valuable read and uh, it's up right now on soundrider.com. Of course. Yeah, we had a discussion last month, you and I did on, yeah. on the show about these foods, and it was you know somebody has sort of inspired me to really get into this, and so uh, I did. I promised I would put an article together, and I did, and so now it's on Soundrider. Right, and uh, you know we're talking about things that you can buy. Better grocery stores around that you can pack and take with you. You don't have to rebuy them every day. They hold for several days sure. the whole time you're out on the trip. 
So uh, we just, you know, we, we, want, we want people to feel better. I know, you know, I've been eating so well lately that I recently went to a restaurant and had like um, pancakes and lousy bacon oh, yeah. and uh, an orange. I don't know how they managed to get this orange to my table. It was so old. <laughs> and after that, uh, my digestive system went nuts yeah. within an hour and I felt like I felt horrible for the rest of the day. So – uh, it really pays to eat well when you're out riding. You know, it does. And just in, uh, from day-to-day life, I think you notice the difference, especially if you go a good solid month or so eating clean. And then, you know, you might have an off day. Like you said, you go to a diner for breakfast and you realize the dramatic effect that your diet can make uh, make for you from a day-to-day perspective. One question I have for you that related to this is do you have one food item suggestion for, you know, oftentimes we find ourselves on those days where we're going long distances, you know, we're trying to get from point A to point B to kind of complete the loop on our vacation. Uh-huh. You hit a gas station, right? Yeah. And you're looking for something just to hold you over until the next town a few hours away because you know you're going to have a decent meal there. Yep. What snack do you pull from the gas station? Almond. Almonds? Almonds. Yeah. If they got them, I get them. If they don't, then I got to go to peanuts. Right. But almonds are way better for you. Uh, and I like my almonds roasted and salted. Yeah. And that doesn't mean I eat a lot of salt in my diet because I don't. But I don't like raw almonds. They're nasty. They're kind of like eating tree bark after a while. I like a few handfuls of them, uh, especially if I have some dark chocolate with me. I'll kind of mix that in yeah. and give it a little extra flavor boost. But uh, I think that's a great suggestion. I think almonds is always a winner. And if you do have the dark chocolate, that's good because it holds up in the heat a lot better. It does, yeah. It tends to have a little bit more of a uh, – I don't know if waxy consistency is the right way to describe it, but you're right. It does sustain the heat a little bit better. Yeah. Um, so a good article, though. So hats off to you on that. And again, you can see that up on SoundRider right now. Um, kind of in the area here, too, you know, we've noticed uh, some dealerships, and this is unrelated to food, but we've noticed some dealerships offering sort of like training credits uh, if you buy new motorcycles with yeah, them. Yeah, buy right? a new motorcycle, yeah. you get $150 in a training credit. Uh, when I see a dealer do that, I'm like, hey, now that is good thinking. Yes. Because, you know, I, if if I owned a motorcycle shop, I'd want to do everything I could to help my customers have the best ride they could. Yeah. And uh, we started poking around about this a couple months ago, trying to find out who was offering it. And there wasn't a lot of people that were offering it like they used to. You're right. And uh, now I see it starting to come up here and – Hats off to everybody who gets in on that and does that because I think that's a a great way to keep a customer for a long time and keep them coming back. You know, if your customer drops the motorcycle after they buy it a week later, they just want to get rid of it. Yes. And you don't want to have that happen. No, you don't want to have that happen for a lot of – for the obvious reasons. But also then, you know, they have a scratched motorcycle that they're selling on discount. Which means someone like you and me might not go to the dealership and buy a new motorcycle. We might take this off the hands of the experienced rider. But the only thing better than a returning customer is a surviving customer. Hey, there you go. So it just makes sense to to have this. And I do like this uh, for that basic reason. But I also like it because we do a lot of – in the last couple of years, you know, there's a lot of sort of hand-wringing about, you know, how are we going to reach new riders? You know, what are we going to do about the next generation? And – it starts, I think, with basic programs like this. You have to encourage people to ride, teach them to ride, and then make them more comfortable and make them – put them, rather, in a situation to where they're going to enjoy the sport more. And basic things like this, I think, is a great step in the right direction. I like to see 
dealerships and the industry at whole taking sort of more responsibility. For yeah, I like to, to see people. a dealership every now and then do a seminar on gear. Yeah. You know, what? what's the right gear to wear when you ride a motorcycle? I mean, you and I, we, we pretty much know that. But for the newbie, they're sure. just like, well, I can just get a half-shell helmet. I'll be okay, yeah. right? Yeah, half-shell helmet. And a, I don't uh, need any eye protection. Hooded or... sweatshirt. You'll be good to go, right? Yeah, yeah. these tennis shoes are going to work out great. Yeah. But uh, I agree with you. You know, I like to see sort of educational incentives because the education is a big part of the fun, to be quite honest with you. I mean, when you're talking about a technical discipline like motorcycling, but uh, just in general, encouraging people to ride, to ride well is, I think, going to bode well for the industry. So hats off to those dealers that are doing it. Yeah, yeah. Um, So Pendleton Bike Week had a big milestone. Yeah. Um, They got on the phone with me a couple months ago, and they talked to me and said, you know, Tom, you do a great job. You have, you know, BMW has their demo truck at your rally a couple times, and you've had a KTM truck there before. We want to get the Harley-Davidson truck because that's the kind of rally we run. And I said, well, good luck to you because nowadays it's, you know, it's it's, uh, eight years after the recession, and it's tough to get these trucks out to a closed event. Well, they got on the phone with Harley Davidson after we had this discussion, and and I told them, you know, you want to talk to these guys over here, you need to go to this guy over here, see what you can do. And they did, and they pulled it off, and now Harley Davidson's a major sponsor for the Pendleton Bike Week, and they're going to have the truck and the demos down there. That's great. Congratulations to uh, Eric and his partner. Absolutely. A huge congratulation. I love (laughs) to see that. And again, I love to see the dealers, or the manufacturers rather, taking sort of more... uh, creating more incentive to go to these events. One question for you is, who's the headlining act on a Pendleton Bike Week? Do you know this year? It's the Grand Funk Railroad. The Grand, Grand Funk Railroad is going to be there this yeah. year. That's great. Yeah. That's they had Three Dog Night last year. I, I knew it was Three Dog Night was last year, but I was trying to think who's going to be there this year. Grand Funk Railroad, well, hey, yeah. I'm your captain. That's awesome. Good for those guys. So, and you know, I, they're all a little older, so if yeah. somebody isn't up to it, they'll find somebody else to fill in. Sure. <laughs> I mean, you know, like, like if the singer doesn't want to sing, they get another singer. I don't yeah, know. Yeah, I'll pull know. somebody out of the audience. They get sure. Axel Rose to come in and sing all the grand funk. Yeah, he's so. a new uh, designated hitter on a lot of yeah. these lineups. So love to see that. Um, well, you know, the last thing I think that we have here is uh, we had some success in a previous episode just uh, mentioning people uh, to people that it would be great if you could like us on iTunes and maybe leave a comment. And uh, we got a lot of great uh, feedback. We got a lot of great comments, and we're going to do that again. We're going to ask you again if you enjoy the show, um, if you could please leave us a comment on iTunes. We know a lot of listeners access us through there, and we want to keep uh, bringing you these high powered, very informative podcasts once a month about motorcycling in the Pacific. Full Northwest. of nothing but real news. That's right. <laughs> but no, thank you to everybody, though, who did take the time. Uh, to give us, you know, the five-star rating and then to also leave a comment. That really does mean a lot, and it helps us with the show here, too. We want to keep uh, people involved, and we want as many riders as possible to be listeners as well. Yeah, if you could just take an extra minute out of your day and go in and rate us on iTunes, it'll help. Yep. <laughs> and now we make... have one more news bite. Sure. What else do we have? Uh, so uh, everybody's got their eyes on this new project down in Georgetown called The Shop. Yep which is going to be kind of a half private and half open to the public deal where there will be a restaurant in the shop 
and it will have you'll have visual access to what's going on inside the private club and if you're a member of the private club you can uh, store bikes there you can get the tools you need all this kind of stuff and it's you know x amount of dollars a month to be a member so uh, it's going to be interesting to see what happens with that. It sounds like a cool concept, though, because basically while you're in the dining room having uh, your lunch, your dinner, you can look out over the amateur mechanics retching on their bikes. That, or they may be pro mechanics. That's true. Yeah, there probably yeah. is a mix in there. You're right about that. But I think that's kind of a cool, uh, cool way to enjoy a meal, right? Yeah, it's going to be interesting. It's going to be an Ethan Stoll restaurant. It's right, a big so name here in Seattle. Definitely has a lot of restaurants. I rest- think he has so many restaurants, he can't even count them on his fingers and toes anymore. <laughs> I know. I can't count them, that's for sure. But uh, that will be something to look forward to down in the Georgetown neighborhood. They're doing a lot of great things down there, and uh, you know, we wish him the best, certainly. Let's take a break, and when we come back, we'll do the calendar. Support for the Soundwriters Show is provided in part by... The Rally in the Gorge. Are you ready to go beyond the main roads? Since 2003, the Rally in the Gorge has introduced riders intimately to the awesome secondary and tertiary roads in the Columbia River Gorge National Scenic Area. With programs for dual sport, adventure, sport touring, and sport bike enthusiasts, this is the rally you'll want to return to again and again. For more information, visit soundrider.com slash rally. Hi, this is Misty from Dunlop Motorcycle Tires, and you're listening to The Sound Rider Show. Hey, I'm John from Briar, Washington, and, uh, well, it's not real local, but I like going to John Day, Oregon uh, for the rally, and Highway 19 is an awesome ride. Riding into the calendar segment here on the Sound Rider Show. Uh, no more April Fool's events coming up here, but uh, we do have some good stuff that's going to be happening all throughout April and a little bit into May, starting with, uh, what, the Desert 100, which is coming up real soon. Desert 100, the next big off-road dirt bike dual sport event, and uh, that's going to be out there in Odessa again, and uh, always a huge party going on in Odessa. Uh, bring your uh, air filters for your face, right? Because it's uh, if it's dry, it's going to be dusty. If hopefully Definitely. you could, you could, in that case, you could hope it rains a little bit beforehand. Yeah, that'd be the one spot in Washington, right? Or the one time, rather, in the last couple of months where you'd pray for rain a little bit. But yeah, you know, this is uh, what the Stump Jumpers Motorcycle Club. Yep. Do you know so anything the 47th about them? Seventh annual. Uh, Stump Jumpers have been around for 47 years, right. and uh, they've been putting on this Desert 100 that long. Um, they used to put it on out in the Mattawa Vantage area, but uh, they had to move it to Odessa almost about 10 years ago. Maybe it was 10 years ago uh, because the state of Washington decided they were going to go dump a bunch of biolage in the desert. Mm. And you don't want to ride around where the biolage is at. So. No, I would take a pass on that, even if I were a stump jumper. But that's great that they're still doing it 47 years later. Yeah. Uh, still together. That's awesome, man. I mean, that's. So that's they got, you know, several different poker runs you can do on your dirt bike or on your dual sport. They also have a separate dual sport poker run now. So you don't have to go out in uh, 
the desert where they're <laughs> basically there's not a whole lot of trails. And right. Not. They're just kind of cutting their way through the sage and all that. This is all on private land. This is something we're going to be talking about in an upcoming article. Cool. About how so many of these events like the Desert 100 and uh, the dirty poker run that I went on in, in March yeah. are all out on private land. And it's making it possible for people to ride their motorcycles when they otherwise wouldn't – they don't have a lot of choices anymore. That's true. Yeah, you know. The uh, the available riding area is shrinking for riders, and uh, this is great. I love to see it. All events, we always love to see, but uh, best of luck to these guys. That's April 1st and 2nd, so coming up real fast. Yeah, um, and then on uh, on April 1st, I alluded to this at the end of the show last time, and I'll talk about it a little bit more. Yeah. There's a place near Odessa. It's called the Wild Horse Wind Farm. It's up 3,000 feet above the, the valley floor, and uh, the Wild Horse Wind Farm is – Exactly what it is. It's a wind farm. Right. But they have a really nice visitor center there. And it's kind of a nice central location where East can meet West. So we're encouraging people who who would like to come and meet up, uh, come on out to Wild Horse Wind Farm. Uh, on Saturday, April 1st, you can watch the dust cloud rise from Odessa. Right. And uh, we'll do some group shots at 11, 12, and 1 o'clock. And uh, always kind of fun just to get people from one side of the state yeah. and the other side of the state together. The only thing I would I would tell you is um, keep an eye on the WSDOT warnings so that if they might be doing av- any avalanche blasting, point. Uh, you kind of d- decide, well, I've, I've, my plan B is I'm going to hang out in Ellensburg for a few hours right. and let them get that over with before I try to go back to Seattle. A good suggestion, I think. Yeah. Yeah, even if you do have your timber sled, you don't want to be there with the, uh, <laughs> yeah. the avalanche testing. But, of course, if you were maybe down in Oregon on the uh, second, you could also do the Rose City, Oregon 250, right? See, well, there you go. If they're going to do avalanche blasting, you just head for Oregon. Excellent suggestion. And go there do the 250 yeah, down right. the So that'll be on Sunday the 2nd, and that's going to uh, start out – I'm going to start and end at the uh, Lamphere Beaverton Honda store. That's right, yep, starting at 5.30 a.m., and it's a 250-mile poker run. So, I mean, that's a pretty good day's ride. So you could check in as early as 5.30 in the morning, and the last time you could check in is 8 a.m. Right, good point, definitely there. But uh, if so, you're an early ride well, – no, we've had the time change now, so I guess – Five thirty. Get your winks in ahead of time. That Go is to bed for early. sure. Yep. Or stop in and uh, make sure you get some coffee along the way. But again, that's the second down in uh, Portland. So it sounds like a fun time. And then uh, zooming forward to the twenty second of April. This is on Saturday, the twenty second. There will be the Tulip Ride, which is a fundraiser ride. It'll be going on. What, what city does it leave out of? Yeah. So here we have it listed as uh, Redmond. Redmond. Yep. So it leaves out of Redmond, it goes up to the Skagit Valley area, and they go through the tulips. Now, (laughs) if you've ever tried to go through Skagit Valley during the Tulip Festival, Mm -hmm. you would know that that is like bumper-to-bumper traffic. Sure. So if 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 being stuck in a massive wall of traffic isn't your thing, but you want to do something right, you can uh, find out who the organization is by going to our calendar and maybe just make a donation to them and skip the hassle. Yeah, that's a great point. You know, because sometimes it can be a uh, like you said, a bit of a hassle to be stuck in traffic like that. Um, that's just you know, that's kind of the uh, the way of the world, though. But if you can make it up there early, maybe you can. 
get past some of that traffic. Like 6 I don't know. Yeah, I don't yeah, know. No, it gets bad by by mid morning. Uh, also, my tulips are telling me out in the front yard that they're not going to bloom until closer to May. Oh, okay. So, um, you know, one of the things to do if you want to go ride in the tulips in the tulip fields is um, skip work on a weekday. Yes. And go up and do a ride up there on a weekday when the when the traffic is. A little bit lower. Right. Or if you're still pressed for time and you can't uh, quit work, wait until May and just ride by the Crow's Nest Studio where we'll have a handful of tulips here that you can uh, take <laughs> pictures with, right? <laughs> no, we, we don't like the poachers. Right. Uh, also on Saturday the 22nd is going to be the Washington Vintage Motorcycle Group Swap Meet. And uh, that will be up in the Skagit Valley area. And still going strong. I mean, 2 bucks per person and an additional $5 per car. So bring a few friends. and well, That's nothing. Yeah, go take a look. Or if you've got some stuff to sell, right? It looks like the uh, rental fee for an indoor stall, 10 by 10 is 35 bucks each. Yeah, I've done that before. Yeah, it's not bad at all. No, it's, it's good. And if, you, if you're collecting old bike stuff, this is a good place to go because they put some good stuff out. Uh, now, we're just going to look forward to May here. Uh, so you can kind of plan ahead uh, a couple of events. Uh, one of them is going to be the hill climb, the Nitro Nationals yeah. hill climb out in uh, – they say Sunnyside. It's kind of between Sunnyside and Yakima. Okay. Um, that's a good event, totally good event. Go out there. You get to watch the guys do the hill climbing. Um, they also have some other entertainment. When I was there before in the past, they had uh, stunt riders in the morning who were doing freestyle. Cool. So I got a lot of nice photographs of people upside down on motorcycles. Right. And intentionally uh, upside down. Yeah, intentionally. Right, which is yeah. always nice. Like like in the air upside right. down. And uh just you know, it's, it's kind of a, a cool people watching deal. There's all kinds of if people bring their couches out there and put them in the desert and right. watch the it's it's crazy. But uh watching hill climbs is a lot of fun. Especially this one, because this is this is one heck of a hill that yeah. they gotta get up. Have you uh, ever participated in a sort of hill climb in your motorcycling career? No way. Yeah, <laughs> and I wouldn't. I wouldn't. Yeah, you can. You can. You can push the ass button. On yeah, that. I don't have it plugged in, but because uh, yeah. uh, I, you know, I, I, you, the people who are volunteers, what they'll do is they'll dot them up the hillside, right? Right. And then when a the guy tries to go up the hill, and then the bike finally throws itself back and. Yeah dumps itself, uh, everybody runs for a minute, and then three people have to go over and help the guy get the bike back up <laughs> off the ground, and they have to get it turned around. He has to ride it straight back down that hill. So uh, you know, the, that's not my idea of fun, but it's fun to watch. But there is something that just screams America about that, though. So, I mean, God bless those riders. That is just – that is fun to watch. You're absolutely right. Well, and it, you know, it, you got to be careful as a volunteer because those bikes are, you know, four or 500 pounds. Yeah. So that's a lot of weight coming at you. They have the same problem in the world of snowmobiles. Oh, definitely. So – Definitely. Yeah, you don't realize – I mean, once that uh, motorcycle slows down, just how heavy it yeah. is, you know. Yeah, once that thing loses traction and it's – it's vertical. You better run. That's right. But hey, it's always sunny in Sunnyside, Washington at the Nitro Hill Climb. So go out there the 5th through the 7th of May. So coming up next month. And then on uh, May 15th, we will get the uh, Road Trip 2017 tour underway. So five-day tour. We're going to start it off in Idaho. And we're going to end it off down in uh, – well, it's actually going to end off in uh, Goldendale, Washington. But we'll be uh, staying at Canada one night, and we'll be staying in uh, Pendleton another night. We'll be staying down in McCall, Idaho, a couple of nights in Coeur d'Alene. 
So uh, if you got a week to kill, come ride with us. It's a lot of fun. You know, I tell you what, like really, this is such a such an awesome Pacific Northwest route. Like this is something that I hope after you do it, you just you write an article about it so people can do it on their own in the future because it's just there's so many iconic sort of zones of the Pacific Northwest that you're going through on this tour. Um, just a great job. I mean, I wish I could make it to this one, but I, it's, I'm, I'm jealous of all of you that do. So um, what we'll do is we'll take a break, and when we come back, if you own a coffee table, you're going to want to listen to this interview because we're interviewing Pat Hahn about his newest book called Classic Motorcycles, which is a fat $50 coffee table book. Beautiful book. That deserves to be on everybody's coffee table, so stick around. Support for the Soundwriter Show is provided in part by Adventure Motorsports, Stomish County's largest selection of Yamaha and Suzuki motorcycles, ATVs, quads, and UTVs are available in Monroe at Adventure Motorsports. Celebrating a decade of top-rated sales, service, parts, and accessory support, hit the road and visit Adventure Motorsports today. Hi, this is Rich from Rich's Custom Motorcycle Seats, and you're listening to the Soundwriter Show. Yeah, my name is Norton Norm, and I really like coming to the Backfire Motor Night. show and we've got a very special guest with us today a moto journalist from out of corvallis oregon who we've had on the show before uh not to talk about books but to talk about writer safety but um today we're talking about books and uh so i want to welcome pat Hahn. say hello pat hello there everybody how, how are you tom i'm good I'm getting through winter you know how has the how has the weather been up there? Are you in Tacoma? I'm in Seattle where it rains every day. Where it rains every have... day and it never goes over fifty degrees and uh I used to be able to see the Olympics from my house, but I haven't seen them for a while. Ouch. Yeah, have you had have you had a kind of a tough winter like we've had here or has it been pretty typical? It's the coldest winter in thirty years in Seattle. Ouch. So yeah, I didn't I didn't ride much here mid December to mid February uh, due to the weather. Really, oh, yeah. really cold, snow, rain, ice. Well, my bikes um, have been napping been, for a while. Yeah, yeah. I'm not usually not that big of a tenderfoot, but this has been a tough tough winter. But we're back. We're back on on two wheels now. Well, that's good. So yeah. So while uh, while winter's been going on, I got a really nice book in from Motor Books International, and. Uh, beautiful coffee table book called classic motorcycles and your name is on the front of it i am really proud of that uh i, I appreciate uh the call and the, and the review and the and the kind words it's uh it was a it was a heck of a project um i owe i owe a huge props and thanks to to tom Roser, who is the photographer and virgil ealings uh virgil's his exquisite 
taste in like vintage race bikes is really kind of what made the book even possible. Yeah, um, yeah. So let's let's let, let me just sort of lay this out for the listeners here. What we've got is a coffee table book. If you have a coffee table and you like motorcycles, this book belongs on your coffee table. Uh, it's called Classic Motorcycles, and the subtitle is The Art of Speed. And uh, so Pat was commandeered to do all the research for the book, to write all the text, and then uh, they paired him up with a stunning photographer, Tom Losser, from out of California. And uh, did you go down this, uh, this museum where they shot all these bikes at is down in Solvang. Did you go to Solvang at any point? No, the the editor did. Uh, I never made it to Solving. I had to I had to visit uh, virtually through the internet, and uh, and all those bikes in the book, every one of them is at the at the Solving Museum, and there's there are actually quite a few more than that. I want to say there's another there's another fifty or sixty bikes that we were not able to feature in the book that are still waiting to be to be viewed down at the museum. Sounds like part two is on the way, huh? Well, I, I sure hope so. It was. Uh, it was a it was a fun project digging up, digging. I mean, th- these are real rarities. These bikes they are super rare. As a as a motorcyclist who's been in the business now for <laughs> over twenty years now, um, I looked at some of these bikes. I'd never seen them in my life. I'd never heard of them. Uh, you know, most people are lucky if they just get to see a Merkel. But uh, this uh, Militaria, I, I never had heard of them. And then, it, you know, I learned from your book that they've been around for 10 years and a stunning-looking motorcycle. Um, yeah. The, yeah um, some of the others. Yeah. The Mars, which is a replica. Is there no longer any – nobody can seem to locate a Mars anywhere? They are so rare, yeah. That that oftentimes the only ones available are are replicas. There's another, there's another one that uh, that I found through the research. One of the one of the uh, bikes at the museum. I uh, yeah, it is. It actually, I don't remember if it's in the book or not, but it's a Villa race bike. It was a really um, a really important kind of a one-off race bike, and Virgil got it from the guy's estate right he was he was there and he got the bike so it's like the only one in existence according to what virgil knew and in my research i uncovered that somebody built a replica right uh-huh. so i was trying to figure out which one he had if he had the replica or he had the real bike and it turns <laughs> out that he's got the real bike but his, the first words out of his mouth he's like i gotta find that replica because i'm gonna need it for parts ah gotcha gotcha <laughs> yeah and then this Magola bike, which is like a, a, a stretch lounge, uh, like a giant Honda Helix, or anybody remembers the the Dan Gurney alligator bikes from about ten years ago. Uh, I'd never heard of that bike before, but that's like the grandparent to to those bikes. Yes, and if I remember right, the Magola was the one. I think it was featured. On the cover of the the Guggenheim Museum, remember when they did that art of the motorcycle? Oh yeah. They had a a book that went with it, and I think the Megala was the one that was on the cover of that book. So uh, I highly recommend people get this book. Uh, the suspension on the Megala is <laughs> it's something to, to uh, <laughs> you, you probably never see it anywhere else ever, uh, and, unless you're yeah, looking the, at the bottom of a car. Yeah, with the with the engine on the front wheel, I understand it it steers kind of heavy. Yeah, I bet. 
I bet it wouldn't do too good in the potholes either. And we got them. So um, when did you pitch this to them, or did they come to you? How did the how did the whole connection occur? This this book was this really was the uh, the idea of Motorbooks International and and Virgil Healings in the at the at the Vintage Museum. He's like, we've got these bikes. Let's do a let's do a classic bikes book. So they just contacted me. They said we need you have a book um, that we need written. Here's your photographer. Here's your museum owner. And I was tasked with digging up information on these on these books. And it was. Uh, I, I, I learned I learned a lot not only about about these bikes but also about doing research on stuff like this. Yeah, and I could go I could go and dig in. I could I, all these different reference books. Really, there are other classic motorcycles books at the library or people's collections or whatever. Mm-hmm. And I would look through there and, and get all the information. And then I would also check Wikipedia, and lo and behold, pretty much everything I could get out of any book that I found was already. On Wikipedia, so I uh, I donated heavily to Wikipedia as uh, as supporters of, of my research because there's a there's a lot of stuff out there. Yeah, some we, of it was not real easy to find. We cut them a check every year in December, so yes. we we support them. Um, you know, I don't know if you use this or not, but another area of research that I've learned more about is. Uh, uh, I can go and research newspapers from my public library online. I can go back all the way to to the early or the late 1800s in the Seattle Times for when I'm looking for Pacific Northwest stuff. And Google Books has also been real handy for finding little tidbits about when something happened or or you know wh- who was involved on what day that sort of stuff. Yeah, neat. No, that's uh, that's that's good to know. It was. It was fun. It was agonizing doing some of this research because some of the, some of these bikes, they insisted that we're featuring them in photographs. I can't find any information on yeah. that was uh, that was that was pretty tough. But you know, but we we brought it around. You know, the four. Uh, you already mentioned the Mars, the uh, the James, the, the Neander. I, I'd never heard of Neander before, but Neander was Neander was an artist. This was a this was a, an art project of his kind of these these bikes that he built i've never never seen anything anything like it and and then to to research and learn about you know kind of some of the surprising histories um and the surprising way that bikes were developed like the the moto Sacoche, which was a swiss motorcycle if i remember right um dkw which was a huge producer of motorcycles but relatively relatively unknown in this country um and then like the history of the crocker you know, mm-hmm. I, I didn't know anything about that, but the Crocker is an amazing motorcycle. Yeah, that's, that, that's like, got a deep know, history to it. Yeah, yeah, that was, it was, um, I, I discovered that while I know a lot about motorcycling, I did not know as much about motorcycles as I thought I did. So <laughs> I, I think a lot of people would feel this way, and, and somebody who was a vintage enthusiast might see this book and, and realize there's a whole bunch of stuff they didn't know that exists now, <laughs> in, you know, finally in text for people to read. Because it, it was buried away in, you know, some other country or whatever, and then, uh, you know, within the last 10, 15 years, it comes to the web, and you start to learn a lot about about all these things you didn't know that much about before. Yeah, there's a there's a chap with a blog over in Europe, and it's it's he's called the 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 Vintagent 
a combination of vintage and gents, gentlemen, and that guy, whenever I got stuck on a bike, I'm like, look, is this the Model H or the Model H2 or whatever on this old, <laughs> old, old bike? He's like, oh, yeah, you can tell by the way the tank is shaped and this that it's the it's actually the Model 16C. It's not the H or the V, you know, whatever it's. And uh, that guy, he was uh, he was an amazing source too. I, I I don't even know if I know what his name is. I just know him by his internet handle. Yeah, right, right. So you were able to use news groups and forums and things like that to contact people too. Yes, yeah. There was a lot a lot of that. So I got to make a few friends along the way. Mm-hmm. And uh, it, you know, and and really funny, you know, how the technology has been the motorcycle technology has been honed all the individual components over the years have been honed to perfection but really the basic design it's an engine that sits in the v between the wheels and the tank is kind of hung from the frame over the engine and the rider sits just behind it that design hasn't really changed in a hundred years 120 years yeah yeah well now we got trikes and things like that but yeah that would be three wheels in that case so, so, yeah, yeah, it was, uh, and it was also, um, it was, it was quite eye opening to see, to see really how racing drove the fascination with motorcycles and drove the development. And, you know, I mean, as soon as, as soon as you can strap wheels to something, people are going to figure out a way to race it. Yeah. And it kind of the whole, the whole scene, um, evolved from really from bicycle racing. Right. Right. And, uh, Yeah. And so it was, it was super cool to like, you know, who knew, like it was all these old English bikes were the ones that dominated the international six day trials, like in the early 1900s, you know, 1920, 1930, that, that time. And, and, and then also to really get a, a good taste, a good feel for the way the Italian bikes, um, like particularly Moto Guzzi, but also Benelli and everybody knows MV, but Moto Guzzi's history is unbelievable and they dominated road racing for so long, and and a lot of people, a lot of people aren't. If you're not a racing buff, it never would never even occurred to you. No, and when you think of Moto Guzzi, you think of that that V, you know that that twin um, motor that they have in the current models. But when when I open up the book, I see that single cylinder one, and and I've never seen that before. <laughs> so yeah, the um the that that transverse twin. That is so iconic for Guzzi now. If I now, if I remember right, that came for that design came from it was like a contest in the '60s to design a reliable Italian police motorcycle. So if you can put, if you can consider, if you can conceive of having those four words all in, all in a row: <laughs> reliable Italian police motorcycle. But anyway, that was that that transverse V was the design that won. And so the that that bike that's so iconic now, that started as a as a police officer only motorcycle in like nineteen sixty seven or something like that. And so prior to that they were doing the singles. Yes. Interesting. Yeah, I think that was I think that was their first twin. Well you know going I, I back don't remember. I, I, Go ahead. I don't now, now that I think about it, I don't know if that was if that was their first twin or not. Um, but I believe that was the first instance of that of that 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 iconic uh, 
V shape from the from the front, the transverse V. I don't know if that was their first twin or not. Well, you you mentioned um, the bicycles, and we were doing some research here several years ago on uh, the first motorcycle that came to Seattle, and uh, what we found out was that it was used on the bicycle board track to sort of do that first lap on the track for the for the bicyclists to all line up behind and then they pull the motorcycle off and the and the race would ensue and in back in those days bicycle racing was a big deal and there wasn't any such thing yet as motorcycle racing and then slowly but surely things kind of changed yeah yeah bicycle racing was it was huge and and then some of the first and most dramatic sort of organized bicycle races, at least at least in the U.S., were almost the same. Those velodromes, those big kind of tornado-shaped wooden tracks right. where you're riding up. And those, um, I think those were banned shortly after they started using motorcycles. I mean, there was a really bad uh, crash that killed a bunch of spectators or something in New York in the, in the teens or the 20s back in the, in the first part of the 20th century. Yeah. Well, and the other problem with board tracks in the Pacific Northwest was they would decay and fall apart because of all the moisture. So it was right. hard to maintain <laughs> them. And probably pretty slippery in all the rain. <laughs> so one of the things that I noticed in the book, and um, maybe you can give us a little background, there was a distinct lack of Japanese motorcycles in the book. However, I, I realize that most of the book is kind of pre-1950s bikes, so I guess that was by design? You know, it's it mostly had to do with the bikes that were available in Virgil's museum. Um, and And most of the bikes there are they're like pre-1960 and really it wasn't until the late 50s and the early 60s when the Japanese bikes really started pouring on steam and so there's just kind of a natural a natural disconnect there so so yeah the the uh the Asian motorcycles did not get much attention and and uh and I guess that's just the way the way it's going to have to be with a classic motorcycles book and then the the bike that rounds out the end of the book is the 1994 Britain. Can you tell me a little bit more about that bike? You know, that is the most amazing feat of engineering, really. I've seen in in, in bike design and all these all these bikes that I got to research. But the fact that it was, it was really it was just kind of a few guys in their shop, kind of fabricating this whole thing that was really amazing. I mean, there's no wasted space. There's no wasted part on that motorcycle. If I now, if I remember right, the engine the engine serves as a frame. They uh, they tuck the shock uh, like under the like under the engine to to save space and to minimize the wheelbase. <laughs> everything is made everything is made from from carbon fiber and really super lightweight. So you have a bike. You have a bike. I want to say it it weighed somewhere in the range of golly, I can't remember anymore, uh, 230 pounds or something like that. Wow. But cranking out, cranking out 200 horsepower. V1000 bike. Awesome. And uh, John yes. Britton was the man behind the bike who was from New Zealand. Was the bike built in New Zealand originally? I believe all those bikes were, all those bikes were built there, yes. And, uh, 
and then he he died unexpectedly, and now I'm I'm going off of memory here, and I only I don't have the I don't have the book in front of me, and um, but they had only built ten of these motorcycles, and I think there were only two or three of them that had actually been used um, uh, in a, in a formal race. The Daytona Battle of the Twins in in ninety three or ninety four was when they when they kind of appeared on the appeared on the scene and uh but anyway the either either relatives or friends or the business partners of John Britton I think they're still servicing the remaining bikes I think they're they're consulting wow. I believe they are um I think they're they might be fabricating spare parts for them and things like that so that that bike that mark still in existence at least at least to my knowledge in uh, in New Zealand even if the the bike is disappeared in all but the all but the the remotest of museums interesting interesting all right so uh i got a couple questions for you that are kind of off the off the track of the book if you don't mind answering them what's going to sure. be your next motorcycle my next motorcycle is there anything uh, jumping out at you that's currently out there Okay, so so I have to admit that I recently test drove. Uh, what's it? The S one thousand XR. Oh, that's the, the uh, BMW. The BMW, the yeah. Tall, the big tall BMW. It's sort of the BMW Multistrada. <laughs> wow! What an amazing machine! You like I, that, uh, huh? I, yeah, I, uh, I don't know if I will have the the cajones to pull the trigger on that one but what a fabulous piece of work that thing is i get i just i just run it up up and down through the gears just for fun you know just, just because it's fun to run it through the gears it's uh that is an amazing bike um you know so and and then naturally i kind of i kind of have been looking at the the yamahas the the fj the fj09 um for some reason the sort of the the, the standard sort of multi uh, has been appealing to me lately, and I've, I've always been a V4 guy. Yeah, I like that FJ09 too. I like it. You have uh, one I like now? the style on it. No, no, I'm sticking with my uh, NC700X until the bike that I really want comes out. But I don't know what that is. It isn't there yet. Yeah, you know, we um, I've, I've been into VFRs really forever, the Honda VFR, and it was it was funny years ago. You know, among the the Viferisti, I guess if if you want to call them, um, they uh, we really we we kept asking out loud, Honda, please make us this 800 VFR and make it a hundred pounds lighter. This is the bike that we want. Yeah, and can and, you make it with a rectifier that won't fail? Well, right, right. I've got a I've got a, a, a wall with three rectifiers on it. I'm just <laughs> saving because they because they've already they've already pooped out on me, but. So, so we wanted really what we want is about a 425 pound VFR 800, and then several years back, what did Honda choose to give us? They gave us a 1200 VFR. Like, no, 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 wrong direction. That's yeah. it's an answer to a question no one has asked. So, we're we're I'm relieved to see that they're back. Uh, they're back to the 800 now, and boy, they could go a long way just by just you know get rid of that enormous exhaust can and put one of the cute little CBR MotoGP type cans on it. You save 
25 pounds and, and, uh, you get us, get us started in the right direction. That's, I guess that's like you, I'm kind of hanging out waiting for, yeah, waiting, waiting for, for the next one to appear. All right. Yeah. Here's another, here's another question for you. Um, you've been living now in the Pacific Northwest about four years now, six years, six years. On. So I want you to tell us about one of your favorite roads and why it's a favorite road in the Pacific Northwest that you like to ride. on. You know, my favorite, uh, it's, it's my go-to when I either need a ride, I either need, um, the crap scared out of me or I need to go for a swim, <laughs> uh, along highway 20 in central Oregon. So this central Oregon. So, so from Corvallis, this is where Oregon state is. You can head straight West towards, um, towards the three sisters. Yep. And you kind of climb up into the Cascades there along Highway 20. And then right after you pass through Sweet Home, there's a forest road called Quartzville Road. And that goes up, uh, it, it goes up, I think I want to say 40 or 50 miles, uh, and it hooks up eventually with 22. So it's really a little side route. It's, but it's one of those, it's one of those forest roads that it starts off as two lanes and it's got a yellow line or, or stripe down the middle. And then eventually the stripe kind of disappears, but you still have two lanes. And then the further you go, the road gets narrower and narrower. And then eventually you're kind of up in the in the Mount Jefferson wilderness, and it's it's a one lane road. Yep. And it's paved. It's perfect. It's beautiful. It's one lane, and it's got little turnouts in the curve, so you can you can squeeze over and make a little space if if somebody's coming the other way. And it is just a merry little romp up into the up into the wilderness along the river there, and and it's right on the edge of the mountain, too. And so there's constantly these big uh, sunken grades, these areas where the road just has completely just dropped out. And it's it's hair-raising and terrifying because you'll hit these things at speed, you know, and by that I'm, I'm talking maybe maybe 30 or 35 miles an hour, 40 miles an hour, something like that, completely leaned over, and all of a sudden the, the surface of the road changes by six or eight inches. Uh-huh. You drop and you got you got to be so smooth. It's not uh, definitely not a road for beginners. But that that reminds me of the road around Mount St. Helens. That's what I say. Uh, that's when I say you throw away the idea of the delayed apex totally, and you let those <laughs> frost heaves kind of tell you where to go. Yeah, yeah. It's uh, I, I've discovered though on those roads, and here's here's a good safety tip. You know me, I'm I'm, I'm the, the safety guy. I've discovered that on those roads. If you stay towards the high side of the road, you stay toward the mountain side of the road, you're less likely to get tangled up in one of those sunken grades. They happen on the low side as right. the road kind of falls away. Because that's the where, yeah, that's where the the water gets under and then goes away, and that's when the road fails. Yes. So. Yeah. So the other thing that's that's really super cool about the this road that I love, the Quartzville Quartzville Road, is that it's right along the Quartzville River, which is a spring-fed stream that comes straight from from mount jefferson so on the hottest day of the year you're still dealing with water that's probably about 55 degrees and so you go you ride hard you have fun you get all sweaty and then you strip everything off and then you go take a night there's a bunch of nice little swimming holes all the way along the river and it's um it's beautiful crystal clear water it kind of has that 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 sort of bluish green kind of a teal color to the to the bottom all the all the lava rock and everything is absolutely uh the most enjoyable ride that i know all right listeners that's your homework assignment this summer you need to go find the quartzville road 
So, uh, Pat, thanks for coming on the show with us. Thanks for talking with us about the new book. Again, the book is called Classic Motorcycles, The Art of Speed. And as I said before, if you have a coffee table, it needs to be on it. It's 50 bucks from Motor Books International. You'll find it online at cortonose.com. All right. It has been really fun talking to you about this, Tommy. Thanks for calling. You bet. Thank you. Bye-bye. Okay. We will be right back with more on the Soundwriter Show. Support for the Soundwriter Show is provided in part by Moon Motorcycles, a family-run operation located in Issaquah, Washington. Moon Motorcycles features a diverse selection of used bikes to choose from. Whether you're shopping for a used sport bike, cruiser, dual sport, sport touring, or street standard, you owe it to yourself to visit Moon Motorcycles and look over their large inventory. Have you got a used bike you want to consign? Get in touch with Moon Motorcycles today. Hi there, this is Uli Langenberg from Uli's Famous Sausage, and you are listening to the Sound Rider Show. Hi, my name is Steve. I'm from Olympia, Washington. Uh, my favorite area to ride in is around uh, Kamei, Idaho, where the gravel roads are fantastic and the paved roads are even better. Welcome back, fellow riders, to the final segment on the April edition of the Sound Rider Show. We want to thank you, as always, for joining us here. And, of course, we're not going to leave you without some tips and tricks. And, as always, we've got some good ones prepared. Tom, what do you have for the folks this month? Well, I was uh, going through some of my camping gear, mm-hmm. uh, checking to see what I might need to reseal. Yeah. Some things just get so old. It's true. you got to dump them. Yep. And I'm coming to the realization that tents have maybe about maximum a 10-year lifespan, depending on how much you use them, between UV, uh, between blowing in the wind. Uh, You know, you put a tent out blowing in the wind for, say, 10 days a year, that's 100 days of blowing in the wind in the sunshine. Yes, it definitely is. That'll tear up a tent. Not to mention just the packing and unpacking. Yeah, because the more you crinkle it up, the the nylon starts to, uh, you know... Not be as strong anymore, yep. and uh, if you'd like to put them in the washing machine like I do, then it wears them down even more. Right. So uh, uh, it's a good time to take out your tent right now, go through it, see what you need to seal on it, or see if it's just time for a new tent. That's a good point, definitely. And I, uh, I think my tent now is going on that ten year mark, actually. Yeah. So last year I went through, and uh, the rain fly I retreated. With uh, you know, sort of the uh, tent sealant waterproofing stuff, mm-hmm. and uh, it badly needed it because it was leaking the previous year at the rally in the gorge. <laughs> you know, you might want to set it up and just test it too, because when you when you tighten up that rain fly yeah. a little bit, uh, you'd rather have that fail while you set it up in the backyard or down at the. I, I set mine up down at Kirkie Park down sure. below me here. And uh, and have it fail there, and then you know it's just it's it's over. Yes, it's over. You can you can fix it. You could use some tent repair tape. Yeah. But then you fix that part. But then what about the next part? So it's That's just true. And you know, the house of cards at that point. Well, you know, too, a lot of times on these double walled tents, um, you can just replace the rain fly if the tent itself is structurally sound still. So if your poles are good and you have like sort of the under screen tent, mm-hmm. you know, you could just replace that fly. Hmm. But. 
That's tricky because flies are different sizes. They may be, but a lot of tents have been in production, the same model for a lot of years. And if you have one of those, you can uh, you can hunt hunt down the fly and just replace that. But you know, uh, Sierra Designs just came out with a new tent, and we're going to put it on the Soundrider store. It's it's under two hundred dollars. Yeah, and Sierra Designs always makes top grade stuff. Right. So when I saw that, I was like, wow. Well, there there's something I want to put onto the store. Absolutely, it's a great value. More camping stuff in this year. I'm with you. Got to encourage people to get out there, right? Yeah. Well, save money. Yeah, that's true too. More more money for gas. Um, So mine is kind of a little related to that, and my tip for this month. For April and May specifically is to pack what I will call a bug-out bag. And basically what I'm telling you is that have your gear ready to go because when you roll in after work on a Friday and you see you're going to get a good Saturday, you want to have some stuff ready to go so you can blow off whatever house chores you have planned and go out and ride. Okay, so you're not talking about packing a bunch of bug spray or no. mosquito net for your no, helmet? No, no, no. Or... The, uh, the bug out term comes from, the I guess, the prepper community where everybody says that you should have you know food and water at all times and be prepared if the oh, world's yeah. going to end. Yeah. But what I'm saying is forget the world ending. Uh, we need to get out there and we need to – we need to grab life by the horn. So when you see some sunshine, you don't want to blow your first uh, morning on that Saturday or that Saturday afternoon packing up your crap and testing your tent. Exactly. You want to be ready to go. You want to look around and you want to say, hey, I'm out of here. I'm back Sunday morning. Have a nice little 250, 300-mile round trip ride planned and uh, get out, enjoy life, and um, you know make the most of it while you have the opportunity. That's a good tip. I, I would say pack two bags. One of them is the, the, the bag you would have all day, every day. Yeah. And then the other bag would be your overnight bag. Yep. So if it's just one good day of weather and you're not going to, you know, you don't want to be out overnight, then you just take the, the day bag. Yeah, that's right. And go out. That's right. And, you know, if you're out there and you're having fun and worse comes to worse, you find yourself a cheap motel and you come back on Sunday anyway if the weather holds up. But be prepared because, you know, I've blown a few weekend days organizing gear, finding stuff that was misplaced or not put away properly from the last trip. Yep. Um, so just get it done and get it ready because we're going to have a few in April and May where you're going to be able to get out there and you're going to be able to make up for some of that lost time through the winter. And that's a good way to take advantage of all the bad weather. That's right. Absolutely. Yep. Good point there. All right, folks. That is our April show, and we hope you enjoyed it. We're looking forward to coming back next month and telling you what we've been up to. Uh, you can tell us what you've been up to by jumping on our Facebook page or just shooting us an email off the Soundwriter website and uh, let us know what we could do better for you and uh, share your experiences with us. Uh, you can subscribe free to Soundwriter. Just go to soundwriter.com, click the link that says subscribe free up in the top, and I want you to ride safe, ride often, and don't ride like my mother. And don't ride like my mother. We'll see you next month in May. And I don't know about you, Tom, but this episode's a gas. <laughs> The Sound Rider Show was made possible by today's sponsors and the patience of everyone else involved, which is not to say we're doctors. Reproduction of this program in part or in whole is not legal without the express written consent of the podcast owner. But please be sure to share the link with all your Facebook friends. This program is a production of mixed media. The content and views of today's guests do not necessarily reflect the opinions of any major media conglomerate anywhere else in the world including CBS, NBC, ABC, MotoGP, the BBC, PBS, NPR, the Discovery Network, or the Cartoon Channel. 
See you next time on the Sound Rider Show.